your purpose of expanding your kingdom. So God, we pray your blessing on John. We pray that your hand be with them in this launch team. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Welcome to week two of Grace Swag. Side. So glad you guys are here. Um, I'm going to be reading this morning out of the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. If you guys want to grab your Bibles and follow along, or your um, phone, apps on your phone, or whatever you read from. Um, but while you're finding that, I just wanted to introduce myself. My name is Caroline, and you can find me on Sunday mornings in the Little Guy hallway. Um, I truly have the honor and privilege of um, loving on um, the babies and the little guys uh, of Westside. Um, we have a group of dedicated volunteers that make sure that your kids are loved, seen, they're safe, they're having fun. They know that Westside loves them and they know that God loves them. And um, if you would like to be a part of that team, we would love to have you. All right, so Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loves us, and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. So, Caroline, before you go, um, first off, guys, we're, we're talking about swagger, so I invited Caroline because that is, she's, she's might be the definition of swagger. I mean, I'm just saying. No, in all honesty, um, uh, Caroline mentioned it earlier, and I want to piggyback on something. Um, Guys, we've got incredible children in that hallway. Uh, I have one in that hallway, so I know they're incredible. Um, but I, I have also seen the benefit of what happens in those classrooms. My four-year-old coming home asking questions about Jesus. My four-year-old coming home making statements that Jesus loves me even when I mess up. I mean, these are big deals. That are, these are humongous truths that our kids are being taught and that our kids are catching. But right now, there is a shortage of leaders. There's a shortage of people who are willing to hold babies, get down on the floor and teach them about Jesus, just love them to death. And I want to encourage you that, I want to encourage you to step out and step out in faith. Go in this hallway. Talk to Caroline after service. Love on some kids. It's going to be a, it's, listen, it's going to have a, an impact in their life, but even bigger than that, it's going to have an impact in yours. You're going to get to know Jesus better through the interactions with these, with these little boys and girls.
And so I want to encourage you to do that. Now, before Caroline leaves, I, um, uh, I want to take a moment here. And, you know, we always start with prayer. And so I want to pray for Caroline. And I want to pray for the littles. I want to pray for the ministry there. And, um, and uh, I want to pray for our morning. And so um, let's do that together, please. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for the opportunity that we have been given to worship you freely in, such, in, in this incredible place. Um, I, have, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we've been given to, to, worship, to worship you without fear of repercussion um, and, and just be able to stand firmly on your, on your promises. I want to thank you for Caroline and the leaders in the hallway there with the littles and what they do and just the impact they have in the lives of these little boys and girls who are growing to know you and love you because they know that they are known and loved. And so I pray, Lord, today that if anybody is, is feeling that urge, I pray that they would have the courage to go talk to Caroline after service and step in and be blessed. Um, be blessed by you and be blessed by littles who are growing to know and love you. And so I pray all this in your name. I give you this morning that I pray that it's glorifying to you. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks, Caroline. So if we haven't met, my name is Joe. I am... Uh, I am one of the guys who gets to get up here occasionally and talk with you all about the Jesus that I love. And today, I want to welcome you to week two of Grace Swagger. This is a, a three-week series where we're looking at the book of Ephesians and, and seeing that during this time, Paul, through the book of Ephesians, I think he does three things and that, that are meant for, meant for us today, meant for the people in Ephesus at the time. He provides some encouragement. And I hope that if you were here last week, that that's what you experienced, is experience some encouragement about who you are in Christ and what that means uh, in, our, in our daily walk. Uh, he provides direction and about how do we live out of the, how do we live out of this new life, this new grace-filled life that we've been given. And then he ends with a challenge. Well, uh, today, I, we're, we're, going to, we're going to recap a little bit of last week and look a little bit at that, at that encouragement, but today we're going to talk heavily about direction. You know, last week we began unpacking this series, and I think that if you look at this, and we'll talk about it a little bit, you'll be able to see what it looks like for us, the, the encouragement, the direction, and the challenge. It's, is I am empowered with a grace swagger as I sit in the presence of God, as I walk in His Spirit, and as I stand firm against the attacks of the enemy. I'm empowered with a grace swagger as I sit in the presence of God and get to experience His grace and, and realize that that is the posture from which we begin our Christian life. We sit in the presence of God and experience the power of grace. But we're also going to walk in his spirit. And that is the direction on how we are supposed to live our life and how we're supposed to move forward. And, then, and as we stand firm against the attacks of the enemy. And we, we talked last week about how we find when we sit in the presence of God, we, get to ex we are indwelled and empowered with a grace swagger. Now listen, I, like I said, Caroline, if you look in the dictionary, it may have her picture. Um, but the definition we're working from this week and through this series for Grace Swagger is this. It's an unearned but given confidence to those who belong to Christ. It's an unearned. It's something we did nothing, we did nothing to deserve. 
It's, it's, it's an unearned confidence, but it's in a given confidence. It's given as we repent of our sins and submit to Christ as Lord and receive him as Savior. And the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. We are given a confidence that says, regardless of situation, I know who I am, I know why I'm here, and I know what I'm supposed to do, and nobody's going to change that. It is a confidence that is unwavering. It is a confidence that the Apostle Paul got to demonstrate as he was writing to the people in Ephesus. Because, my friends, he was writing this while he was imprisoned. He was writing about grace and the confidence that comes with that as he was writing from a place where his confidence should have been stripped down. But it wasn't. It was empowered because of who lived inside of him. You see, last week we also talked about the fact that the the book of Ephesians answers four questions. It doesn't ask four questions, but it answers four questions. And and today we're going to recap a little bit of what we talked about last week, where we we dove deeply into the first two questions. And we're going to look at the third and be introduced to the fourth. But the four questions are this. What are we saved from? We are saved from death. Not temporary death, not earthly death, because the mortality rate is still 100%. But we're saved from eternal death. We're saved from eternal separation from Christ. Eternal death, uh, that, that, is, that is what our life and our sins and our sinful actions, desires, motives, thoughts, words, what they drive us to is death. We are saved from that by Christ. And what are we saved by? We are saved by his grace. This isn't a cheap grace. This isn't grace that doesn't cost anything. This is grace that costs everything. This is a great this is the most this is the most expensive free gift you will ever receive. It is a gift that you did nothing to earn but were given. That's what makes it a gift. But it cost it cost Christ his life. That grace, that grace is what we are saved by. And if we are saved from something, which is death, which is our own sinful desires, and we are saved by grace when we repent of our sins, submit to Christ as Lord, and receive him as Savior, we are saved to something else, and that is to new life. We are saved to new life, to a new seat, to a new standing. We are saved to a new way of living. And what are we saved for? We are saved for God. But like I said, we're going to unpack heavily these, what this new life looks like. And I believe that there are three key elements that we are, there are three key elements that come with this new life that I want to talk about today. It's a new identity, new action, and new character. It's, new, it's new, a new identity that's founded not in ourselves, but in how we are defined by the one who lives inside of us. It is a new action that isn't compelled by our own desires, but compelled by, by, the, by the entity, by the being that lives in us that will drive us to something new. And a new character, which is a brand new way of living, that may seem counterintuitive to all of culture around us. You see, grace swagger is first grown out of a new identity in Christ. 
Uh, that, that unearned but given confidence is grown out of a new identity in Christ. You see, we have to ask the question, who are we really? What defines us? Where do we find our identity if we're being honest? Is it in our family? Is it in our accolades? Is it in, is it in what we can do? Is it in anything that we maybe have done? What is it that drives our identity? You see, once we are saved from death, by grace into new life, we are given a new identity and it's founded in the one that lives in us. See, so this new identity that we, that we talked, this new identity we saw last week, there's ways to describe it, ways that we are described by the, by the Jesus that we love. He calls us new. He calls us bought at a cost. He talks about us and says we are forgiven, we are loved, we are confident. We are a new creation. We are a royal priesthood. We are adopted. We are parts of a new family. He says all of these things about this. And I love, one of the things I like about the Apostle Paul is he can take things and he can narrow it down. And he does this in Ephesians chapter 5. He takes all of these things, these identities that where, where we once were defined by our own self, and now we are defined by Christ and Christ alone. And now he narrows this down. He says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. You see, when you belong to Christ... You not only have moved from standing in darkness to standing in light, you have moved from being darkness to being light. Now listen, that is not an easy thing for many people to swallow. We don't like to think about ourselves in the, in the manner of that we are darkness. We like to think that darkness is something that's done to us, not something that we are. But what we were was marked by sin. And sin is the opposite of light. Sin is that darkness. And so when we were marked by sin, we were darkness. But because we have been saved from death, from our sins, by our, submit, by our repentance, our submission, and our receiving of Christ as Lord, we have been made new into new life. And with that new life comes a new identity. And that new identity is we are no longer darkness. We are light. And we are to walk as children of light. You see, Paul lays this out. Paul, Paul tells us that just engaging in this new identity, receiving this new identity is not the end of it. He tells us we're to be on the move. We're to walk. See, he says, I love how that verse ends. It says, walk as children of light. You see, an authentic encounter sitting with Jesus will compel us to walk. Grace swagger will drive us not to stay stagnant because the power that lives inside of us is not one that's meant to just sit. It's one that's meant to be and do. You see, growing in grace swagger will compel us to action. 
Growing in grace swagger will compel us to action. The confidence we have through Christ, the grace swagger that is growing inside of us will cause us to move. It will cause us to erupt with action. I mean, listen, I I can remember, like I had this teacher when I was young and she used to, uh, listen, I wasn't really, I was really not the student that raised their hand and waited for the teacher to tell me something, ask to call on me. That's just, I wasn't good at that. I'm still not good at things like that. I get a little excited. And she said she could always tell when I knew an answer because I'd sit in my chair and I'd bounce around and I just couldn't sit still because I knew the answer. And when we, re- when we repent of our sins, submit to Christ as Lord, receive him as Savior, and the Holy Spirit make, takes up residence inside of us, we have the answer to everything that troubles the world. And we should, because as we sit and that grace swagger grows in us, that confidence, we should be compelled to action. We should be sitting in our seat waiting, just, just bouncing around, waiting to be able to say, I have the answer and his name is Jesus. You see, growing in our grace swagger will compare us to action. It will make us want to scream the answer from the mountaintops. You see, the power of grace will make us live life in a different way because we can't help it. You see, the grace swagger in our lives because of who lives inside of us will turn the coward into the hero. It'll turn the shy into the bold. It'll turn the oppressor into the evangelist. It'll turn the atheist into the apologist. It'll turn the offender into the pastor. I have this friend of mine. His name is Matt Thomas. And Matt is an incredible dude. Matt pastors a church down in Johnson County that is, that is um, it's a very specific church for a very specific group of people that Matt knows all too well. Um, from the time Matt was 17 till Matt was in his mid to late 30s, Matt was in and out of incarceration. Matt made some very, very poor decisions and did some very, very bad things to, some, to many, many people. He had an encounter with Jesus while he was in prison. And, uh, you know, last week we talked about how this idea of, of your, your time with Jesus starts with sitting in God's presence and letting him fill you up. Matt had about, after he found Jesus, he had about 10 years of sitting because he couldn't go anywhere else. And he came out of prison and he did everything that he was supposed to do. Everything he did, he, did, he was doing all these things the right way. He was following along with all, the, with all the things that the state told him he needed to do to be, able to, to be able to have things wiped off his record. He was doing all these other things, but, the, but God was not done. And Matt planted a church that is meant for offenders. It's meant for people who have done the worst of the worst. It is meant for those who, on the surface, most people wouldn't want to be around. But Matt shares the gospel with them. And this last year, 17 people got baptized. 
praise Jesus. Because my friend had an encounter with Jesus and it changed the way that he walked. It changed the way he lived. It changed everything about him. You see, just like it changed the way that my buddy Matt walked, Paul says that's what it's supposed to do to us as well. I love in Ephesians 4.1, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I would love it if you would underline walk and worthy. We're called to walk in a manner worthy of the, of the calling to which we have been called. That's a big, that's a, that's a high bar. Paul writes in his letter to the, in, his, in a letter that he wrote to the to the Colossian church. He said he says uh, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Underline that idea that walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. These are high things. You, Paul is telling us we've got a way that we're supposed to walk out life in this world. And there's a standard. And the standard is we're to walk in a way that's worthy of Christ. Now, friends, that is high bar. And it leaves us with the question is how do we do this? Well, I believe that the Apostle John in 1 John answers that question for us. He says, for whoever says he abides in him. That's what that was last week. That's sitting in Christ. That's abiding in Christ. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. What the Apostle, what the Apostle Paul is saying and what the Apostle John is saying is, hey, there is a standard by which we are supposed to live our lives the way we are supposed to walk. The word walk and live in the old Greek, that these way this was written, they are interchangeable. We're supposed to walk out our faith in a specific way, in a way that's worthy of, worthy of God. And how do we become worthy of God? We walk in the way that he walked. This isn't always the easiest thing in the world to do. This isn't always the easiest thing in the world to do. We've, we've talked that we've seen that there's this new identity. That's that, that's that we're either, we move from being children of darkness into children of light. This is that new thing of action. We are to walk in a manner worthy of God. This is a new way of doing. But how do we do this? We do this by walking as Christ walked, and we do this, we, we do this by embracing a new character. What is the walk of grace swagger? Well, I believe our teaching big idea lays this out well. You see, my grace swagger is a walk of humility, gentleness, and patience. My grace swagger is a walk that is marked with humility. It's marked with humility in everything I say and do. It's marked with gentleness in my interactions with all the people who are around me, and it's marked with patience. Now, I'm going to listen... I, I said this in the first service, and I'll say it again because I, I, I look around the room, and I know most of y'all, so I think I know the answer to this question. If I were to sit here and say, hey, who had arrived at complete humility, complete gentleness, and complete patience, I'm not 100% sure that there would be anybody who raises their hand in this room. I know I can't. But what I do know is that because of the one who lives inside of me, I can look more and more like that every day. And so... I love what, what Paul says when he lays this out, because Paul tells us what this walk is. 
in Ephesians 4, verse 1 and 2. And we already read Ephesians 4, 1, but I want to add verse 2 on this. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. See, humility, gentleness, and patience, those, listen, sometimes in the middle of a, mo- in the middle of a moment, those aren't the words I'm looking for. I mean, I'm just going to be honest here. Those are not the words that I'm looking for. As far as how do I engage with people? These are hard words. These are hard words. But I know that, I know that if I engage with these, if I engage with the strength in these words, with these attitudes and these ways of life, my walk will not only impact my life, but the life of those people who are around. But how did each one of these play out? What does it look like? I think we need to start by just let's start at the beginning. Let's talk about humility. I love how C.S. Lewis says this. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's about not thinking, not, not downgrading yourself, because remember, we are created in the image of God. And if he lives inside of us, we are his and his alone. And there is no downgrading that. But it's thinking of ourselves less. It's thinking about others more. It's thinking about Christ more. It's taking our wants, our desires, our hopes, and our dreams off of a pedestal with which they don't belong and thinking of God first and then others. It it always begins with thinking of God and practicing humility in our relationship with him. I love what James 4 says. It says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humility. We, we begin by, being, by humbling ourselves before Christ. And now listen, that might seem like something that on the surface sounds like a pretty easy thing to do. Because, well, he's God. And I'm not. But in practice, this is such a difficult thing for so many people because humbling ourselves before God, thinking of ourselves less and God more, means that admitting that we fall short. And that even in our shortcomings, We have tried to place ourselves and our desires, our emotions, our comfort, our anything on a throne that it doesn't belong on. And that happens because of our sinful pride. So what is the first step in walking with humility? We walk with humility first by humbly repenting of our pride. We walk with humility by humbly repenting of our sinful pride. It means going to God and saying, I have placed myself in a position that I do not belong in. And I'm turning it back over to you because it's yours and yours alone. You see, walking with humility means following his direction and obeying his commands. And to do that, pride can't get in the way. You know, further in this, we see from the Apostle Paul that it doesn't end with just humbling ourselves before God. It means humbly, humbling ourselves with other people as well. And truthfully, the verse that he, the the verse that I want to talk about here, it's not an easy verse. It's hard. It's hard. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The out of reverence for Christ, that's the easy part. To submit to one another, that's the hard part. Submitting to one another means we may be submitting to someone who never has our best interest at mind. 
Submitting to someone else means we, we may be submitting to someone who never thinks about ourselves. Submitting to somebody else means we may be submitting to someone we don't like, that we don't, that we, we don't really care to be in the same room with, that truthfully stands against everything that we may hold dear. But we're going to think about them first. You see, submission is not... Submission is not easy, but we have to remember that definition of humility. It's not thinking less of ourselves. That's not what this is. It's thinking of ourselves less. It is remembering that any time we place ourselves over someone else, we are giving into our pride. And we should go back to step one of humility and repent. You see, we submit to one another by thinking about what honors Christ in my relationship with that other person and what builds up the image of Christ in their life and doesn't tear it down to make myself look better. So we express humility by submitting to one another. You see, the greatest act of earthly humility is submitting my thoughts and actions to Christ and letting that filter into my submission to other people. By walking in, but walking in grace swagger, it doesn't stop, which is humility. We get to see that while Christ humbly humbled himself and became man and humbled himself all the way to death on the cross, when he was here, he acted, he took upon the nature of a servant and gently served in both word and deed. Paul writes about what it looks like to model ourselves after the gentle nature of Jesus in Ephesians 4. And he, when he says this, he says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful in building each other up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And he goes on in Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Listen, listen, gentleness, gentleness, the example that we are given of gentleness is, of, is in Jesus. He invited little children to come to him. He touched and healed the lepers. Nobody touched the lepers. He spoke life into the dead and brought them back to life. See, Jesus showed us what it means to live a life of gentleness and to, re, to follow him in the way that he lived, we walk with gentleness through our words and our deeds. We walk with gentleness in how in every interaction we have with everyone, we walk with gentleness by walking in the way that Jesus walked, and that is the way of the shepherd. See, you may have noticed that I didn't finish that verse earlier, that Ephesians 4.32, I stopped halfway. And that was purposeful because the second half of this leads us into this realm of how do we walk with patience. You see, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. As in Christ, God forgave you. You know, I heard an old preacher once say, and I love the way he put this. He, he, he said, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other as Christ forgave you. And then he said, then he circled it back around. He said, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other as in Christ, God continues to forgive you. You see, forgiveness is something that we have to choose. 
It's an act of patience with people because they're going to do the same thing over and over again. Those of us who have children, we know this. We forgive our kids knowing that tomorrow they're going to do the same thing. Christ forgives us knowing that tomorrow we probably will as well. And so we, we walk out patience. We walk with patience by forgiving and walking with others. We walk with patience by forgiving people and walking with others. We see in Scripture that the Lord God will never leave us nor forsake us. He will forgive us and then he doesn't go away. He walks with us. He gently restores us. He brings us back into right standing repeatedly over and over again. And this is what we are supposed to do with others. And we've been given the greatest example of this. And I want to, I want to, I want to circle, and we're going we're to wrap up here real shortly, but, it's, but Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, gives us the example that we need. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, we walk in humility, gentleness, and patience by walking in the Spirit of God, who is love. Love is the driving force behind us being able to walk in humility, gentleness, and patience. And not just a love that's our own, under our own power. And not that just a love that's founded in something, in, that's something that we can muster up. It's a love that we've been given the example of. See, I will walk, and, we can, and when we get that, we can honestly say, I will walk with grace swagger by walking in love, just as Christ loved me. So my friends, as we walk in love with humility, gentleness, and patience, which one of those has your name on it? Which one of those do you struggle the most with? I know for me, it's patience. I know that. I pray every day for God to help me grow that. And he has. I haven't arrived anywhere but I'm further along the road than I used to be. So my encouragement today, my challenge is this. Look at humility, gentleness, and patience and look at Jesus and say, how do I need to repent and how do I need to grow and let him drive that? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for the example that you set of how we walk out our grace swagger in this world with humility gentleness and patience based on the love that lives inside of us through your holy spirit so jesus i give you i thank you again i thank you for the baptisms earlier i thank you for the baptisms that are yet to come i pray all these things in your holy name amen Westside, if you need to talk with somebody there's gonna be prayer partners along the edge we will see you next week i love you but not nearly as much as our father in heaven does